rejoicing is in our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved us and claimed us for His own, paid the penalty for our sin with His own shed blood. It is good to be a part of the family of God, a recipient of the grace of God. Welcome again this morning. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you braved the blizzard to make it here this morning. It was a very pleasant surprise to have snow falling in this part of South Carolina last night, and the Lord preserved some of it. For us to see and enjoy on our way in this morning, I will tell you that most of it will be gone by the time we leave here. It is turning to water rapidly, but it is great to gather together in this place that God has provided for us together as the people of God to praise Him, to learn from Him. I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. The Acts, the activities, the actions. Some of you will have a Bible where it says the Acts of the Apostles. Some of you have some that may say the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We'll look more at that in a moment. But while you're turning there, we're looking at Acts chapter 1, the very first chapter, the very first three verses of the book of Acts. We want to kind of set the context for where we are as a church and also set the context for this text that we're looking at this morning. The book of Acts is a transitional time. The Lord Jesus Christ has walked upon the earth. He has called disciples and commissioned them. He has preached and taught. He has verified His claims by miraculous acts. He has gone to the cross that we just sang about. And he paid the penalty for sin there, satisfying the righteous requirements of a holy God against the sin of all mankind placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They are suffering the wrath of God as an innocent, as one who did not deserve it, in our place, he satisfied, again, what God required as a penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. But now as God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came off the cross and they placed him in a borrowed tomb. He stayed in the borrowed tomb. And on the morning of the third day, they went to minister to his body and found that he was no longer there. The Lord was risen. Hallelujah. Let's have Easter this morning, shall we? It is a great celebration to recognize that the redeeming work of God encompasses the perfect life of Christ in which he required the righteousness that we failed to do. It encompasses the death of Christ, which satisfies the judicial requirement of a holy and a just God, who, if He's just, He cannot overlook the sin and not punish it. But as a just God, can take the place of the sinner and bear His punishment. And there we see Christ paying the, the penalty on the cross and His bloodshed. But we also see the culmination of that. It's not only judgment, it is resurrection and it is new life. And when you go through the book of Acts and you listen to the, the sermon of Stephen, the sermon of Philip, the sermon of Peter, the many sermons of Paul that are recorded throughout the book of Acts, the theme, the focus, the, the overriding passion is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They just couldn't get over it. Never got over it. Everyone in that area had heard of Jesus. Everyone had heard, at least to some extent, of the crucifixion that took place on Golgotha. But there was all kind of rumors and all kind of talk about what happened at the tomb. Why did the guards pass out? Why, why was the stone rolled away? What really happened? And Jesus appeared before the disciples. Paul makes it clear, even in his letter to the church at Corinth, that the Lord Jesus Christ appeared not only to his disciples and not only here and there. It wasn't some sort of vision they were having some sort of group delusion. He appeared to over 500 at one time. He demonstrated his life for 40 days post-resurrection until his ascension. Now Luke has written most of the New Testament. Most of you already knew that. 
Paul wrote most of the books. He wrote most of the letters, but Luke wrote most of the content. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, detailing the life of Christ. And now he is the author of the book of Acts. And I want us to kind of see the tie that comes in there. Things are in a transition. The Lord Jesus Christ is establishing. He is setting up His church, a brand new thing. A thing that He knew about, a thing that was planned for from the beginning of the age. But now, where there were the Jews who were God's chosen people as a nation, and they were the Gentiles, those who were the mission field, if you will, but not a part of God's nation, now both Jew and Gentile can become one, can become something completely new and different in the Lord Jesus Christ as a member of His church. And in Acts chapter 1, we have a transitional time I believe is appropriate for us because this is a kind of a transitional time for us as well. Now, we'll tell you, don't overblow that. We ought to continually be in transition. Amen? I mean, we ought to continually be going to the next thing and taking the next step and living the next day and embracing the next truth and holding on to it. doesn't mean we abandon that which has gone before. It doesn't mean we don't celebrate what has been taking place. But it means that we are on a journey, which means one step in front of the other, one, the next mile down the road, the next thing that God has in store for us. The church of Christ is not static. The church of Christ is not stagnant. The church that of Christ is indwelt by and is is motivated by the life the living of the lord jesus christ through his people and that's what we see in acts and that's what i want to make sure that we are clear on as well as we look into this passage and we'll, we'll spend several weeks here in the first part of acts following up on our theme preparation 2021 or uh, our uh, preparing for the journey that, that christ has for us as a church um, we are pursuing some pretty ambitious ideas and plans. We are taking steps to make sure that we're prepared as a people and that there is a place prepared. But this study will help keep us focused on why we do what we do, what the purpose is, what the intent is. And it informs us the things that we are to make sure that we don't leave by the wayside, the things that we make sure that we do. And I will tell you that I pray continually for clarity and certainty. Clarity and and certainty. I want to be clear that we're walking in obedience to God's Word. Now, Luke started writing. Luke was a historian. He was a medical doctor. We'll get a little bit more to the authorship later as we get a little bit deeper into the book of Acts and look at a few things. But Luke was Dr. Luke. He probably administered medical care to Paul. Paul had some issues. We know he had problems with his eyes. We know he had other physical issues. We know he was beaten and left for dead. On several occasions, we know he was shipwrecked. We know he was snake bit. If ever a missionary needed a doctor as a traveling companion, Paul's your guy. And Dr. Luke began traveling with Paul after, not on Paul's first missionary journey, but after Paul had been on some missionary journeys. And Luke is a historian as well. He recorded the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke, if you remember, we started studying the Gospel of Luke. You guys remember how long ago that was? It was, it was three years ago, all right? And so uh, we'll, be, we'll go back and review. I'm sure you all remember those messages just like it was yesterday. Uh, but we'll go back and review the opening of that. Luke chapter 1, here's Luke writing. He says, Inasmuch, Luke 1, 1, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Okay, so many have tried to compile a history, a narrative of the things that have taken place. Verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word 
have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And so Luke has, he is a historian, he has been with the eyewitnesses, he has talked to the eyewitnesses and interviewed them, he has been, as we will see later in Acts, accompanying the Apostle Paul, and he is writing to a man called Theophilus. Now, I don't know a lot about the name, Um, I did uh, hear of a pastor who said that uh, he was going to refer to one of his grandchildren as Theophilus, and when asked why, they thought, why? Because, you know, Theos means God, and Philos means loved by so theophilus means one loved by god that's a pretty cool name and the pastor said well no i was thinking it's because it's the awfulest looking baby i've ever seen bad joke sorry we'll let that go but theophilus means loved by god we're not quite sure who this guy was we know he's someone that luke had a vested interest in and luke wanted to make sure that there was an ongoing narrative and so he wrote the gospel but he picks up here in acts chapter one and in our text, Acts chapter 1, he, he ties them together. Acts 1, 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles through whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so, just starting there, we have the continuation in Acts chapter 1 of what Luke had recorded for Theophilus. And this is another history book, the work of Acts. Now, here's what I want us to make sure that we get. In verse 1, he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do. And to teach. Did Jesus not complete his work? The idea here is Jesus began to do something. But there's no period on this. And those of you who are following along and you're note taking. I want to make sure that we get this really clear and really settled. We need to make sure that Christ began to do a work. He is continuing to do a work. And that's the first point. We need to be assured that Christ's work is ongoing. He began to work in his body. He continued to work in his resurrected body. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But you remember the transitional time when he told his disciples in Acts, I mean, in the Gospel of John, we have a very clear teaching where he says, don't worry, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send another to you, another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And we'll see just a little bit later in Acts chapter 1. He says, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we see this transitional period where Christ begins this work, where the person of the Godhead who takes up this work is the Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of the believers, the children of God. And so we need to make sure that we recognize that there is continuity here, that Christ's work is ongoing. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, is what takes place throughout the book of Acts. That was their job, but it is also ours, and that's the point. We want to be a people who are part of the kingdom of God, 
under the authority of God, allowing the gospel and the truth of God to address the problem that people have of sin in their life, God's solution through the Lord Jesus Christ, and repentance and faith on their behalf, even that empowered by the Spirit of God as He draws them and convicts them and makes them new. And we put our hands to the task. That's what Acts is about. He is still at work. He is at work through us, through His people. He told them, I'm leaving you. I want you to go make disciples. But what did He say? I'm with you always. You guys remember the Great Commission, right? The very last part of the Gospel of Matthew. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of my death on the cross. Even until the end of the book of Acts. Even to the end of the age. What age is that? It is the age of the church. The age that we are in now. The age of grace. That the age where we are proclaiming the gospel, the Holy Spirit's working through us, the church is established. It is God's plan for redeeming the world, for bringing glory to Himself. And that age will end at some point with the resurrection of the church. That age will end at some point with the coming and the establishing of Christ's kingdom on earth, where the kingdom of men become the kingdom of our God, as recorded in the book of Revelation. Of course, it's prophesied throughout Scripture. But we're still... In that age, this season, this epoch, this age is not over. So we are still winning people to Christ. Lives continue to be changed. He will build His church. We are being used by God to bring people from darkness to light. It's just amazing to me to think this happened in Jerusalem, the other side of the world. This happened 2,000 years ago, and yet Christ is still at work in His world through His Holy Spirit, through His people, through His yielded, as we are yielded to Him. 20 centuries later, he's still working. Now, have you been in the book of Acts lately? Uh, uh, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. 28. I started to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 29. What, how does Acts chapter 28 end? Do you remember? The Apostle Paul is under house arrest. He's witnessing to the household of Caesar. He's awaiting to be freed. He has already expressed his desire to go to Spain. And all you get at the end of chapter 28 in Acts is an ellipsis. You don't get a finality, a closing. Not on Paul's life, not on Paul's ministry, not on the life and ministry of the work of the Holy Spirit of God. There are even ministries that are called Acts 29 ministries. Why? They're emphasizing the fact that we're in Acts 29. We're the ongoing work of God. Christ's work in the world is ongoing. And the task is to glorify God by making mature disciples, by uh, proclaiming the gospel of Christ. The story does not end. Christ is in His heaven, seated at the right hand of God with all power and authority. And He says... I am still at work in the world. I'm still at work in your house and in your community and on your, with the people in your job. I'm still at work in the west end of Greenville. Still have a heart and a passion to see people redeemed and saved. And um, part of our focus as we go through this study is to make sure that we are viewing the work of the church as God sees it. We can easily view church as simply a healthy lifestyle plan. There's so much emphasis on healthy lifestyle and healthy lifestyle plans. We can view church as simply as a healthy way to live. We want to be physically healthy. We want to be financially healthy. We want to be socially healthy. We want to be spiritually healthy. So a church is just part of what we do. We can 
make it our plan to go to church and learn our Bible verse and to be inspired and to get some encouragement to make it through the next day. We can try to make sure that we're ethical. We can love our children enough to say, I want my children to be in a Bible program where they learn what's right and what's wrong and how to be good people. We want to keep them from harm. Uh, we, can, uh, we, can, we can view church as simply just another aspect of the best life we can live on this earth, but that is a very weak and anemic view of the church of God. It is not the picture of the church of God that God plays, point, paints in the New Testament and particularly in the book of Acts. The work of Christ. Remember what Christ said about His church. I will plant my church or I will establish my church. And what? And the gates. You, can you finish the thought? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is the picture there of the work of the church? It is to assail the gates of hell. Gates are not offensive weapons. The church is not in a defensive mode. We are supposed to be offensive. How about that? Have you ever been called offensive? We're, let me change our wording a little bit. We're supposed to be on the offense. How about that? That might sound a little bit more palatable. We're supposed to be actively engaged by the, by the ongoing work of Christ in our lives and through our lives for the kingdom of, of Christ. He is continually calling people to himself and the church the people are part of what he calls in the New Testament in some metaphors. He calls us an army, Second Timothy chapter 2, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be as engaged and committed as an athlete training for a race or a competition. Uh, we are to be diligent or like a diligent, hardworking farmer who gets his first share of the crops. All of this is found in Second Timothy chapter 2. The first seven verses. And so we need to stop thinking of a church as simply a refuge. Is the church a safe place to be? It should be, yes. It should be a refuge. God is our refuge and strength. And where God is, there should be a place of refuge and security. But if that is all we are, we are not fulfilling the picture and the vision and the work that God has for the church. The word of God is not bound. Um, We cultivate the passion of Paul, who, though he was imprisoned for the gospel, said, while in change, he said, the word of God is not bound. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's the Second Timothy passage further down in that passage of Scripture. Now, this morning in our family meeting, we shared some ideas or some steps we are taking to identify with clarity and certainty not only our purpose, but how we're to live in that purpose in the world and in the mission field that God has brought us. We're going to continue to be doing that. It is the way and the pattern of how we're going to be living our lives together as the people of God, motivated by our love for God, by His love for us. By his love for the West End and our love for the West End and culminated in the expansion of the kingdom of God in people's lives. And so I want to just kind of share this path, this passion that Paul has by looking at uh, Colossians chapter one, just a short passage of scripture there that Paul shares his heart and his passion. Colossians chapter one. And we'll pick up at verse 24 and read a few verses. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. For your sake, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. Now, doesn't, that, doesn't that give you a little bit of pause? What's lacking in Christ's afflictions? What is lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Certainly not his suffering on the cross. You remember what he shouted, die. It is finished. He completed the task 
of satisfying the requirements of a holy God in his death upon the cross. But his work is ongoing. And so as he suffered, we too suffer continually in the ongoing work for the sake of the church. Which is what he says here, for the sake of his body, that is the church. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this ministry. Which is what? Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I told, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Listen to me. When we begin our lives and we reflect and God kind of reestablishes us and says, All right, here's the next step. Here's the next location on your journey. Here's your next stop. Here's your next move. We need to recognize that there's going to be some struggle that goes along with that. That it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be inconvenient. That all of our desires may not be met, but we are pursuing a greater desire. The glory of God and the accomplishment of His purpose in the world. And so we are willing to, like Paul, suffer. Even though we may not be in chains, we might be. But even though we may not be in chains... There will be negative social consequences when you embrace following after the Word of God. There may be negative legal consequences. There may be all kind of issues that you have to face in your family and in your relationships and even on your job and other things that you have to face as a result of simply being obedient to Christ. But it's worth it for His glory and for His, His, His will to be accomplished. And so we fulfill the sufferings for the expansion of the church, people to get saved and connected. But also we recognize that this is a stewardship it's a calling that He has given to us. We belong to Him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. There's nothing on this earth that, that doesn't belong to God. We simply steward it, as well as our own attention and our own energies and our own efforts. And so we want to manage on behalf of God and take up the mantle of the assignment that God has given to us. And we do this in His strength. This passage is today's sermon in a nutshell. We see it in the book of Acts. Christ began a good work. We need to affirm and recognize that Christ's work is ongoing. But there's another component, Acts chapter 2. Until the day he was taken up, after he had, Acts chapter 1, verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, his work is ongoing through people. His work is ongoing through you. His work is ongoing through me. And we need to declare, yes, Father, I want to be a part of your work in the world. He has a mission and a calling for your life and my life. And he's put us in this congregation together. And we need to be willing to step up and take our place in Christ's ongoing work. We've got a job to do. We've got a task that we need to embrace. We're all about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But folks, we ought to be faithfully 
proclaiming it and demonstrating it and living it. And it ought to be that which consumes our minds because of our love for God and because of our love for the people that He's placed in our lives. There ought to be that component to this. The next step, the expansion, the next thing. We see what happens when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples as you saw, or as we will see as we go further into the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, when they're in their upper room praying, Acts chapter 2, as the Holy Spirit comes upon them and the gospel is proclaimed and people are saved and transformed and this church is begun and then there's some growing pains that go along with this and it's expanded and then they're scattered and they're persecuted and they scatter more and we see as a pattern in the New Testament we see as a pattern throughout history that oftentimes God's work is most effective and efficient as far as the spreading of the gospel and lives being transformed when society stands in opposition to the word of God and we need to just simply be willing to embrace whatever God has in store for us, standing firm, embracing the task that He has called us to be a part of the means by which He does His ongoing work. Peter talks a lot about this in his epistles that he writes to the church in the short epistles. And I just want to point out in 1 Peter chapter 2 how he identifies us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10, to he says, You... Talking to us as believers. Or a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, we could go and look further into this passage of Scripture. You see these truths throughout Scripture. We are the people of God, indwelled by the Spirit of God, to accomplish the purpose of God. And it matters. Let me tell you, it matters in how you, how you, what you put on your calendar and who you go see and the conversations you have with them when you go see them. It matters your opinion of your job. It matters your opinion of your co-workers and how you view them. Last week we talked about crowds and how we're to view the crowd. I don't know about you guys. I'm not a crowd guy. Right, except on Sunday morning. We want a big crowd on Sunday morning, amen? But I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a crowd guy. Uh, are y'all concert goers? Do you like concerts? I love it. Half of the people saying yeah and half the people saying no. Sometimes we don't like crowds. I, 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 again, I like music. I love music, but I don't like being in a crowd of people at a concert. When we view crowds, sometimes it's kind of like we just group people together instead of seeing them individually. And we just kind of stereotype. And we don't like the inconvenience of the crowd. And we need to see the crowd as Jesus saw the crowd when he looked out upon the crowd, as we see in Matthew that his heart was broken and moved for them. And he saw them when the disciples like, what's going on with you? And he said, well, he had compassion upon them. And he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. As those who needed truth and care and protection in their life. As those who are struggling. And he is the answer and he knows he's the answer. And he wants laborers in the harvest. That laborers can bring people to him. And that is the work of the church. We need to change how we see people. Whether they're in a crowd, whether they're individually, we need to see them as the mission field that they are. Christ's work is ongoing. We need to take up our role in His ongoing work. And yet we do this empowered by His Holy Spirit. You remember in the Colossians passage that we just read, where Paul said, yes, I'm willing to suffer. The gospel's not in chains. 
I'm willing to suffer. My goal is what? To present every man complete and mature in the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I do this? I do this as a stewardship of the calling that He's placed in my life. And I'm willing to work, to toil, and to labor. But how do I even do that? I do that by His power that works mightily within me. And that's the third point. The theme of Acts is the resurrection of Christ. He's alive and He's living. And where can we see His life on display today? Where can you see the life of Christ on display today? In the living Word of God, yes indeed. In the historical truth and narrative, yes indeed. But the clearest and continual display of the life of Christ and His work of loving the world and drawing all men to Himself is to be on display in His people. In His people gathered, First Corinthians chapter 3, in His people gathered, we are the temple of the Spirit of God. He indwells us. And in our individual hearts and lives, as we live in that context, dependent upon His power, He indwells us. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to see God and you say, where can I see God? They would take you to Sinai, where there was uh, uh, thunder and lightning and a cloud and the earth shook. In the Gospels, where do I see God? Where can I encounter the life-changing God of creation? Why is Jesus of Nazareth there on the boats on the Sea of Galilee and walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum and as He travels south and as He comes into Jerusalem and ultimately up the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering to the cross. 2021, Greenville, South Carolina. Where can I see God at work? Where can I see our Creator God at work in the world with His love and His grace? You ought to be able to look at the church of God yielded to the power of God and the members of that church of God experiencing the life of Christ in their lives. You are His ambassador. He's still at work. We embrace our role in His ongoing work, but we do it the only way we can. Dependent Upon His power. It's what Paul was talking about. When he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live. How do I live in this world? Putting on display the love of Christ. And the character of Christ. And the personality of Christ. When my own flesh is against me. The devil is against me. The philosophies of this age. I stand in opposition to those. As I, as I embrace firmly the word of God. How can I represent Christ in the world? How can I embrace His ongoing work? I am crucified with Christ. I live yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I trust Him. What is faith? I believe what He says. I believe what He says. I walk in obedience And sometimes when I struggle and I don't see it as true, I acknowledge that it's true whether I see it or not. And that faith enables Him. He gives me the faith. And it enables Him to do that which He wants to do anyway from the very beginning. I'm excited. (laughs) I'm excited about what this year holds for us. I'm excited about what the next two years holds for us. I'm excited about what the next five years holds for us. I'm excited about what the next ten years 
holds for us. Why? Because I'm excited to make sure that we are walking in agreement, obedient to Christ's ongoing work, and taking our place in His ongoing work, dependent upon His power, working in us and through us as His people. And some of you are thinking, well, that that presupposes that we haven't been doing that yet. Praise God for those of you who have. Praise God. Aren't you glad that God is continually working in you and through you and around you and He's working through other people who are continuing to be obedient? Here's the deal for us. We just want to make sure that at this point in the journey that we're fully engaged, moving forward to the glory of God. Amen? Jill's going to come up and lead us because what we're celebrating by working in God's power is a testimony of the redemptive work of Christ that was accomplished to the cross. That has been our focus as we have uh, looked at what God has done and what God is doing. He is continually drawing the lost to Himself. He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. This morning, we are going to participate in the Lord's Supper. We're going to do this a little bit differently from a practical standpoint. We have the elements combined together in a cup and a wafer over here on this side. And rather than pass them out, we're going to ask that you simply file by and pick them up. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to ask people to come across the front and pick one up and then go back around back to your seats that way. If you will do that when it comes time to protect the elements. But let me explain what it is that we're doing. The Lord Jesus Christ established this as an ordinance, as a rule, uh, a law, if you will, for his people. But not just random. He established it for a reason. He wants to keep fresh in the church's mind. That's us, the people of God. He wants to keep fresh in our mind His shed blood, His broken body, the new covenant in the blood of of Christ. He wants to make sure that recognizing that, that we aren't compromised by sin. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is all about. They were a congregation who had taken what was supposed to be a remembrance of the cost of your sin and mine. And they had made it into just a feast, a festival, for those who had good food to eat good food and those who didn't to just do without. And they had turned it into satisfaction of the flesh. And so he calls them back and he says, No, remember, this is the time for the church to make sure that if you have unconfessed sin, that you deal with it now. That you make sure that you recognize the cost that Christ paid for sin. That you ask God to forgive you from your sins. And that you just, basically it's a, it's a reaffirmal, reaffirmation, reaffirmation of your surrender to Christ. I again, Father, want to make sure that I'm right with you. That I'm clean. That I'm celebrating your blood that was shed for me. As a demonstration of your love for me. His body and His blood. So what that means is, it also proclaims that it's not done. He's coming back. Just as the Lord died on the cross, He was resurrected. We do this to proclaim His death until He comes again. So what is this? This is something that the church does. Who is the church? It's those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Those who have responded to the gospel in repentance and faith. They have been made alive by the Holy Spirit of God. So if you're here and you're a believer... If you're here and you're a Christian, if you're here and you can say without a doubt I have a relationship with God, I'm not saying I'm perfect, I'm saying I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed, I'm grateful for what Christ has accomplished in my life. If you're here and you're a believer, we invite you to participate in this. If you're here and you're not a believer, this is just not for you. This is designed for those who have fully embraced, 
following the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And so, if you have, we invite you to participate. We will have you come by, pick up the element, go back to your seat, and then we will partake of them together at the same time. So when you get back to your seat, just, just wait until everyone gets back to your seat, and we will partake of those together. Father, we want to thank you for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for the forgiveness of sin, the fact that Jesus is alive and that he is still at work in the world. And as we continue to prepare to embrace our role in your work, we want to make sure that we're clean, that we're celebrating the shed blood of Christ, that we're celebrating, celebrating forgiveness of sin, that we recognize the cost of sin and the necessity for the gospel in the lives of people. And so, Father, search our hearts and examine us. Allow this to be a genuine time of worship for all of us, all of your children as you have gathered here in this place. And we trust you to do that. Be glorified in us today. In your name I pray. Amen. If you guys will come across the front and then back as you get your element. Just as I Just as we are, we come. We leave changed. We leave when we come, made new in Christ Jesus. We celebrate the elements this morning according to the instruction that Jesus gave his disciples and according to the instruction that was then passed on to the church. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says, I received from the Lord Jesus 
what I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so at this time, there should be a section where you can take that top piece off and get the wafer. And we'll partake of the bread together. Father, we thank you for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. A human body was broken. And is it, it broken to pay the penalty for our sin. Broken for us. Broken because of the love that he had for us. And his willingness to suffer. In accordance with your will. As the Son of God. To accomplish our redemption on the cross. Additionally, Paul says not only was his body broken, in the same way Jesus at the Last Supper also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the body broken and the blood shed. Thank you that we can come together as your people, remembering the price that you paid for our sin. And I pray that you will create in us... A deep abiding sense of gratitude. That you have separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. That you have washed us and made us whiter than snow. That you have restored us, Father, to the joy of salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come to you in repentance and faith. And Father, I pray that you'll create in us a hunger and a passion and desire to remember what you did. What you began, as Luke records, and what you continue to do through us, through your children, through us, through your church, as we are yielded to you, as we walk in obedience to you. So, Father, thank you that you are at work in the world. Thank you that you have a role for us to be at work in the world, but thank you, Father, that you don't leave us to it. Apart from you, you promise to be our strength, to be our guide to be sufficient and you can fulfill that promise because Jesus Christ did not stay in the tomb but he was resurrected and he lives today and he lives within us we claim it we're grateful for the truth as you proclaim it Father be glorified in us in your name I pray Amen Mm -hmm.